today I am so excited to introduce you guys to Katie Gill. Katie is a registered dietitian and nutritional coach, and she focuses on sustainable ways to lose weight. We are specifically talking today about emotional eating. And I want to point out first that emotional eating can be positive, like when you share a dessert with a loved one. Today, though, we are centering our conversation on when emotional eating takes a negative turn, when it starts to overtake your routine and just get a little out of control. We go over what triggers emotional eating and then tips on how to help you curb emotional eating and even when it's time to seek professional help. This is a really great conversation and I know you will walk away with some ways to help you have a better relationship with food. It's time to adapt to a plant-based palate, minimize waste, and respect our environment. Hello, we are Joe and Sarah Hayes, and we are the hosts of the Bowl of Life podcast, where we are encouraging you to join the plant-forward food movement. It's time for vegetables to move from the side of your plate to the center, and we are here each week to help you do that. So if increasing your vegetable consumption and limiting your animal proteins sounds like a win-win to you, go grab a spoon or fork and let's dive into learning more about how you can be plant forward. Hello and welcome back to the Bowl of Life podcast. Today I'm excited to have a conversation about how to curb emotional eating without calorie counting with Katie Gill. Katie is a registered dietitian and owner of Katie Gill Wellness and also a podcast host of her own on the Lose to Live podcast. As we continue to live in a very emotional state of being, hello, ongoing pandemic, government and social issues, just keeps coming. This will be such a helpful conversation. So welcome, Katie, to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So that was a great introduction. I am a registered dietitian, like you mentioned. Uh, Also got my health coaching certification. And prior to COVID, I was teaching fitness. So I have a uh, group fitness instructor certification. Um, I live in Newport, Rhode Island. And like you said, I um, have my own practice, Katie Gill Wellness, brand new podcast, Lose to Live. And I work with busy professionals who are looking to find just sustainable ways to lose weight and not only lose the weight, but to keep it off so that you can feel more confident. Um, I specialize in insulin resistance, weight loss, and portion control. And I just am so committed to helping people learn that you can eat and lose weight and find a sustainable way to do that without eating just like boiled kale and running for six miles a day. So you don't have to follow rigid meal plans. You don't have to count calorie count. And that's kind of what I do. Uh, that's, yeah, that's such a refreshing thing to hear because I think, you know, when people start thinking, well, you know, maybe I need to meet with a dietitian or a nutritionist. And and honestly, that's probably what goes through their mind. Like, great, I'm just going to eat rabbit food <laughs> for the rest of my life. And I love, um, and I've been hearing this a lot from different dietitians and nutritionists, just about that sustainable living when it comes to eating. And mm-hmm. I think that's such a refreshing train of thought versus, um, hey, here's this diet or here's this or that or, you know, and sustainable is, I think, just such a good word to use. Yeah, it's it's kind of that idea of lifestyle change, right? That 
what changes you're making have to feel like ones that you can do sustainably for a long period of time. We can all make a a random crazy change for a day or two, but for me and my clients, it's really a focus on this is a lifestyle change that's going to get you the results you're looking for, but also help you keep them so you never have to restart any new program again. Ah, that's so great. That's such a great message. So you never have to restart things. So we wanted to talk about emotional eating today because, wow, you know, I think this, that just can affect all of us. Um, I was actually even just talking to my husband earlier this week saying, you know, that I was going to have you on the podcast. And um, he's like, yeah, so many guys at my work talk about like this. I don't know if they use the word emotional eating. It's a very traditional B2B manufacturing setting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he alluded to the fact that like this happens a lot where they're like stressed out and they reach for, you know, the donuts or something like that. And um, it, it just happens. But I I wanted to talk to you about this because I know you have some great tips and strategies on this and how to, again, come back to that sustainable eating without calorie counting and all of that. So, but first off, what is actually emotional eating? And is it the same as stress eating? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Sarah. So, you know, there's a few ways to define emotional eating, um, I, I would say to just start there, emotional eating is when we're, we're reaching for food sometimes be, and it's not related to hunger. It can be, which I'll get into in a second, but I kind of talk about it like it's shoulders up. So it's this thing that develops suddenly kind of in our head and it's an urgent need to go eat something. Um, it's not necessarily a like, well, let me back up. It's that urgent need to eat something and it's unrelated to if you're hungry or when your last meal was. And it's often a very specific thing. Like we need that ice cream that's in the freezer, right? Or we need the popsicle or we need the chips. So it's it's something very specific, usually for a particular food or even brand. And it, emotional eating can persist beyond you you feeling full. So it's not something that goes away once you feel full. Um, It's not cured from that, and it doesn't always start because you're hungry. And a lot of times emotional eating leads to guilt for people or there's some shame around it. I would say this, you know, you also asked about the stress eating piece. So I would say that stress eating uh, probably falls under the umbrella term of emotional eating. You know, certainly what we're defining it as can be kind of the negative aspect of emotional eating. But I also want to be clear that we also as humans can eat when we're really happy. You know, if you ever grew up in a household where mom and dad celebrated good grades with you going to get ice cream, or if you got a job promotion, you know, the first thing everybody did was go out to a fancy dinner. That's another form of emotional eating. I mean, holidays, we just got through the holidays, right? There's a lot of emotional ties to the foods that we cook and reach for. It might be recipes that have been passed down from generations. So certainly there's that emotional aspect of it. So I think emotional eating always has this really negative connotation to it, but there is, I never want people to feel like they shouldn't have some emotion around eating. Uh, It's totally okay to do that. The stress eating, we want to work on reducing that and finding alternatives to uh, managing the stress. 
I think, yeah, I think that's very important to, to point out there that it's emotional eating isn't always negative. It's mm-hmm. more, you know, when it becomes that, that stressful or it leads to that guilt and shame because you're right, you know, there are a lot of positive things about emotional eating sometimes, you know, we may be full, but yet, you know, it, like you said, it's the holidays and the cookie tray gets put out and suddenly we're like, eh, I can fit in a cookie. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's happy, you know, like that makes me happy. And that's ne- not necessarily that kind of stressful point that you're looking at the, the tray now. Now, could that, you know, spiral into negative maybe if you ate the whole tray? I, I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So... So why does emotional eating happen or as we're kind of like, like the negative part of emotional mm-hmm. eating, that kind of more stress meeting is, um, what, what triggers it? Yeah, I think it's different for, for everybody, but I would say the reason we do it is because it works. I think it's really important to acknowledge that when we're stressed, or any other thing that's causing you to eat beyond hunger that and like let's let's stick with the negative piece of that for a second. So, you know, feeling stress can certainly cause someone to eat uh, it also could be anxiety, it could be anger, it could be boredom, right? We all tend to have one to two reasons that we're reaching for food. Yours just might be different than mine. But it's important to acknowledge that, yeah, I was stressed and the food did actually make me feel better. There is an actual dopamine response in the brain when we eat that makes us feel better. The problem with that is it's a pretty short shelf life. It doesn't last that long. So the cookies or the ice cream or whatever you're reaching for to handle the stress in that moment, it does work and it can work for like 10 minutes, right? And so then after that 10 minutes, we kind of need more food to keep feeling the benefit of it. So it's something we have to keep turning back to. And it's also not totally managing the stress or the emotion that you're having at hand. It's kind of like putting it off to the side for a second. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, it's not kind of getting to that root of the problem of of what's going on. And wow, so mm-hmm. only 10 minutes, it only satisfies. And I guess that makes sense as someone, um, you know, now I wouldn't say I'm much of an emotional eater, but in the past, I think, you know, I think the eating out of boredom was a huge issue for me. And mm-hmm. I agree like you. I would eat like a bowl of popcorn and then be like, eh, I'm happy for a second watching TV. Then be like, you know what? I want another bowl right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Or that kind of like opening the cabinets and just like staring at things and then going back and opening them five minutes later and hoping there's something else in there. And, um, it, you know, and I don't want to say it's 10 minutes that that's like the, the exact science behind it. I think it could vary a little bit for everybody. But the main thing is there, yeah, exactly what you just said. It's, it's really not very long. And it's that distraction for the length of time you're eating. So the popcorn, when it's empty, it can be that, you know, if you weren't reaching for the popcorn because you were hungry or reaching for it emotionally, when it's gone, we then need to have something else when we're still feeling that emotion. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, you know, we just mentioned popcorn there and um, I feel like sometimes maybe men and women may reach for different things when Mm -hmm. we're emotionally eating. Why is that? Or what is that difference in between the cravings? So I don't know that it's necessarily super – I would have to – I don't know that it's different between men and women. I think it can – there definitely is research that I've read on 
uh, different emotions can trigger different types of food. So, it, and I, I found that really fascinating. Um, Ooh, yeah. so when we reach for, uh, softer foods, like let's say peanut butter, and that used to be like a huge trigger one for me, um, or pudding or ice cream or soft, uh, carbs like mashed potatoes and pasta, you know, when you have that strong urge, uh, the research shows that it's you seeking, um, wanting to feel soothed or comforted. And so those foods tend to go down really easy. They don't require much chewing on your end. And so that's where um, people tend to be reaching for that style of food. And when you're reaching for more crunchy things like popcorn or chips or you know, carrots, it can actually be out of frustration or anger that you're like, your jaw is looking for that kind of intense, like, uh, like chopping, you know, like to, to work through. Uh-oh, I, I think I, I must be frustrated a lot then. I love crunchy food. <laughs> and you also, like, listen, you also could just like crunchy food too, Sarah. It's not <laughs> always these deep, dark, negative things, right? I certainly like tortilla chips. I don't want to make it sound like only if you're angry, you like those. But um, if, if you're noticing during these emotional eating states that it's because, you know, it's it tends to be one or the other of those t- style of foods that might be um, – answering some of that, you know, reason for your, why you're doing it. Oh, wow. That's, that's really interesting. So is it just this, the soft and crunchy? I guess that's really. That's that- all I know. That's all I know. So I, I'm sure there's more that I don't know there, but those always seem to be the two biggest foods that my clients really struggle with. You know, the, um, the chocolate, like solid chocolate that melts pretty easily or the ice cream is a big one for a lot of people or like the chips, the popcorn, like the really crunchy stuff. Mm, yeah. You know, but when you think about it, I guess most food do kind of fall into that either kind of soft or, or crunchy type mm-hmm. of thing. But if only we would want to crave like lettuce. I mean, have you read any research about like why? I mean, yes, carrots. I mean, carrots are healthy, but um, like why? Why don't we just like crave like a nice kale smoothie or something? <laughs> yeah, no one's stress eating salads and smoothies. Uh, yeah, well, I wonder why. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think a big part of that is related to the especially the sugar and the carbohydrates, those break down metabolically the fastest in our body. And so when sugar and carbs are breaking down, we get that blood sugar spike. And that does give you that kind of feel good, quick burst of energy really quickly. The problem again, right, is what what goes up, like the blood sugar, it has to come down. And when your blood sugar is coming down really quickly, that's when people get that hanger feeling or that like super depleted feeling. But I think that's part of why we re- we tend to crave uh, the not so healthy foods. And some of that also kind of can go back to even cavemen days of just food availability. So a lot of like our whole makeup is still the same as cavemen. It hasn't caught up to modern day society. And carbohydrates for them, you know, fruits especially were so far and few between that when when they could find them, it was like, oh, okay, well, we better eat a ton of these right now because we don't know if we're going to have access to that again and it will give us energy. Uh, but obviously, modern day society, we aren't worried about when are we going to find fruit again. We, we have access to so many more foods, but a lot of our central nervous system makeup is still the same as cavemen's. Oh, so when, so, okay. So to unpack that a little bit, so 
you eat a bunch of that kind of sugary carbohydrate food, your body wants to kind of hang on to that because it has that like, well, you might not get it again type of thing. Yeah, it's it's so before I started my own practice, I used to work um, as a dietitian in an endocrinology office in Philadelphia, and I I learned so much there, you know. And so for anyone who doesn't know, you, you go to endocrinology office typically with you're dealing with diabetes or some endocrine related disorder or some level of insulin resistance. And so I learned so much about blood sugar and for. For anybody who doesn't have diabetes, it can be like, well, why should I care about this? I, I don't, um, I don't have that, right? But then you start to really learn how much your blood sugar regulates things like the food that you are craving. Um, and so when you start to manage your blood sugar and stabilize it better, a lot of the cravings actually really reduce. I wouldn't say they ever totally a hundred percent go away, but they're much more manageable typically. Um, so wait, did I answer your question? I feel like I went off a little on it. Oh, no, no, no. And I, I love this question. I had actually a great um, question. So, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like, and I would be interested in your opinion on this, that, um, you know, I was in that, you know, for years, I think, in this kind mm -hmm. of sugar crave kind of um, thing. And it's, you know, it's kind of normal. You want like, you know, something sweet or something. Um, but when I went plant-based, I kind of noticed that um, – that, that sugar craving kind of went away. Um, mm. And even now, like if I have a smoothie that's too sweet, I'll be kind of like, ooh, like that's a little little too sweet for me. Mm -hmm. um, so is that just kind of that pattern? I mean, does that, that happens kind of when you get your eating back in order? It can. So, you know, part of it too, like let me ask you when you say like if you'll have something too sweet be, beyond like the taste of it, do you notice any other symptoms and it's totally fine if you don't i'm just curious oh um yeah i i guess i really haven't noticed too much <laughs> um, i actually do now and i never did before but if i have like a, a ton of fruit in one sitting like i physically feel sick now in a way mm. that like i never used to um so yes when you clean up your diet a lot of that can can be fixed but you know, it's interesting. I'm plant-based. I get a lot of clients who are plant-based. You certainly don't have to be, but I would say it's, it's really interesting how I actually find a lot of times, sometimes vegans and vegetarians struggle more with this at the beginning because we cut out so many of the major sources of protein that we tend to be reaching for mostly carbohydrates, right? And, and carbs do spike blood sugar. And it's not about good food, bad food here. It's, you know, carbs are essential and they're healthy, but too much of them in one sitting does put your blood sugar on this kind of roller coaster ride of, of these highs and lows. And so especially with plant-based eaters, you know, it's really talking, I really counsel on like having the well-rounded diet and getting the plant-based proteins, the healthy fats, um, all the different types of fiber in there, which will slow down um, how much the blood sugar is spiking at one given time, which again, like you said, you, you just feel better, your energy is more stable, and you're full for a longer period of time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I recently had um, Emily Eats on the podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with her. And she, yeah, she was kind of talking about that same thing, how, hey, if you have sugar, you know, you need to pair it with fiber, fats, and protein, mm -hmm. um, 
which is, I think, just a message I think needs to be repeated over and over again, or, you know, sugar slash carbohydrates, which I think, you know, why? And we're kind of rabbit trailing off of emotional eating here. But like, (laughs) I think, you know, for the most of us, we don't equate like carbs the same as sugar. Does that, does that make sense? Like, do you ever run into that a lot? Like where, you know, you necessarily, people aren't thinking as, uh, oh, my potatoes are sugary, you know, because I mean, they aren't, you know, but they are carbs. (laughs) Right. So all carbs break down into sugar in the body. Um, and that's, that's where they're, they're similar in that. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times, and again, if I'm going off on a tangent, just bring me back in. Well, if you look at a nutrition label, um, and you know, in bold, you'll see those macronutrients. So fat is in bold, carbohydrates are in bold, proteins in bold and sugar you'll notice is not in bold and it's indented, uh, under carbohydrates. So like, let's just say some random label has 30 grams of carbs and 10 grams of sugar. So what that label is telling you is of those 30 grams of carbs, 10 of those 30 are coming from sugar and they're just not really totally indicating where the other 20 are coming from. So that's not added sugar. It's just that carbs break down into sugar in the body, which which will make your blood sugar in turn rise up. So obviously you know, big picture here, carbs, vegetables fall under the carb category. We're not saying to limit those or not to eat them, but I still would say you want to be pairing those with that protein fat combo. So you just feel more satiated for a longer period of time. Um, and you know, so then someone might say, well, so is Katie saying I need to pair my ice cream with a protein and a fat? And it's like, no, that's an indulgent (laughs) food. We're not, we're hopefully not reaching for that all the time. You know, I'm talking more about the stuff you're doing day to day, but again, yes, I'm going off on tangents. So it's it's not that, um, you know, sh- like when we say sugar, I think people tend to think candy bars, more junk style food, like that classic, mm-hmm. I'm doing like air quotes, junk food. Um, yeah. But it's important to understand that metabolically, those kind of quote unquote junk foods are actually breaking down similarly to the fruits and the vegetables um, and the other forms of, you know, grains and breads and carbohydrates in your body. Obviously, the latter have additional benefits, right? They have the vitamins and the minerals, and there's there's reasons to eat them, but they still are doing the same thing to your blood sugar. Oh, I, think, I think you said it the most easiest. I've heard someone say that, that carbs break down into sugars. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like that's just the easiest way. Like, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. So I really appreciate you kind of just putting that really simplistic spin on it. Um, you know, just to help us think, think about that. And like you said, like, you know, this, that we're talking way different here than, um, you know, maybe the ice cream craving or whatever, which, uh, you probably shouldn't go and pair that with gobs of peanut butter. <laughs> right. Right. And I want this to feel, Like, I don't want this to be complicated for people. I want people to understand what I'm talking about. And so simplifying it to, yes, like that's what happens. Carbs break down into sugar in the bloodstream and in the body. Because conceptually, when you understand that, it does start to make you think twice about the food that you're reaching for, not out of this shame, right? Going back to that emotional eating of like, oh, well, Katie told me not to do that, right? Because that, unfortunately, like that doesn't work. Um, Yeah. That I had plenty of years of feeling bad about food I was eating, but I still ate the food, right? It doesn't, that doesn't right. change it. But when you start to 
physiologically understand like, oh yeah, when I eat that, I don't feel great. Um, I, I get hangry, I get sleepy, and then I crave more of that food to, like an hour later. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, maybe I kind of want to cut back on that or maybe I want to add something to that so that I feel better. And when we feel better, that's the reason to keep making these kind of changes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think though a lot of the time it's just getting people to that point of, of listening to their bodies, mm-hmm. um, you know, at that point, because we're just, we're on the go all the time. And maybe, maybe our lives has slowed down a little because of the pandemic, but then we're kind of in this stressful news watching mm-hmm. kids are at home all the time. And like, so that's still kind of this go, go, go stressful mood. Like, so how do you advise someone when they, they come to you kind of with those, that situation and is like, I just I keep kind of running back and then, you know, I don't feel the best, but I don't know why I keep running back to eat the chips or to, you know, give into these, you know, emotional eating cravings. Like how, what would you say to somebody? Yeah. So I, I'm very, I'm like 50, 50 in this, like one foot in the science world and one foot in the emotional aspect world of this. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, if, if my job was as simple of, of just like handing someone a meal plan, like no one would struggle with this stuff, right? It's just so much more complicated than that. But I do think people have to have a starting point. You know, it's kind of like, um, I I love the notion of like, listen to your body and, and check in with how you feel. But like you said, a lot of people have no idea what that even means. Like they yeah. really are so disconnected from their body. And again, it's that like shoulders up, like we're, we are so in our head, we don't even remember there's this whole body attached to us. So I, I think it's it's really important to give people the nutrition education and, and somewhat of a prescription of, you know, at the beginning, this is what I really want you adding to your meals and talking about uh, proteins to add, you know, again, whether you're plant-based or not, fats to add, um, And I love to focus on what to eat more of and not just always talking about from that weight loss perspective, what to be eating less of. But so Mm. first it's, it's the science people have to understand. Then it's that, okay, this is what we need to pair. You know, I find a lot of times like people are under eating all day because they're, like you said, we're, we're in a zoom world right now. We wake up, turn our computer on. And because people don't have the commute back home or leaving the office, I I know for a lot of my clients, they're, they're staying on their computer till they go to bed. They're working all day long. And so sometimes they forget to eat all day and under eating all day, like leads to overeating at nighttime. So it's kind of checking in and saying like, are you eating every three to five hours. Like that's what we want to be aiming for. Right. And we want to make sure there's these set things in every meal. But I always want my clients to know, like you get to be in charge of which protein you want. I'm not giving you this rigid meal plan to follow, but let's give you some structure here, at least at the beginning until it starts to feel like you are starting to notice like, oh, I do feel different. I feel less bloated. I have more energy. My head is clearer, right? Like, And so again, that's what triggers people to want to keep going. But I don't believe in just like telling someone like, just listen to your body and figure it out. I think that's that's really overwhelming to the average person at the beginning. So, um, And giving them lots of meal suggestions and ideas and letting them fine tune it with their food preferences always. Um, so that's the first piece. And then, you know, if someone 
is coming from that emotional perspective of I keep doing this and I don't know why and I'm so incredibly irritated with myself, you know, we have to really dive deeper. And so for me, it's just always kind of asking why like five more times or the tell me more piece. And, you know, why are you reaching for that ice cream? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's the end of the day. I finally just put my toddler to bed and it's me time, right? I, I've had a whole day of giving to everybody else and I just want to relax a little bit now. And the ice cream represents relaxation for me, right? And so then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know what? Of course you deserve the relaxation at this time of day, but can we make it something that's not food related for you, right? Like, can we come up with a list of five to 10 alternative things for you to do um, or to try, you know, I can get into like that method too, if you want. I, I always give people like, I'm like, let's just start with I want for 10 minutes, like if you're used to reaching for the ice cream every single night, let's say at 8 PM for 10 minutes, Because now, in addition to that being emotional eating, right, that's become habitual eating too. Like we're just expecting that. And so what we set is, okay, at 8 o'clock for 10 minutes, before you reach for anything, I want you to commit to doing something else for that 10 minutes besides eating. And it's it's really important like that they they have to go do something. You don't want to sit there – with a clenched jaw and fist being like, don't eat the ice cream. Don't eat the ice cream. Don't eat the ice cream. Because that sounds <laughs> That's awful. what I was exactly picturing in my mind. Someone in front of the freezer being like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so so I, you know, I give lots of examples, but we always try to personalize it to the person. You know, um, doing something physically with your body, like that can also help you just get more in tune with your body. So for some people that's taking a hot or a cold shower, it can help get you out of that headspace when you're physically doing something or dancing or uh, walking a little bit. Um, Research also shows, too, two things that light up that same reward center of our brain, that dopamine response that the food does, that feel-good component, uh, are music and meaningful photos. So I think that's super cool because music, we all know that one or two songs that make us cry or make us laugh or make us dance or tap your feet, right? Music can change your emotional space in 20 seconds. It's super quick. And so the research will say, you know, if if you um, know that you reach for food out of stress or reward, have a playlist on your phone of a few songs for each of those emotions, because what you're going to want to listen to when you're sad might be different than what you want to listen to when you want to reward. Um, And so save those songs for that moment. And that could be something you're doing in that 10 minutes. And the meaningful photo piece is that's another wonderful thing about our phones, right? You you have access to music and photos on your phone right now. So 10 minutes could be scrolling through meaningful photos of your family, of pets, of vacations that you've been on. Um, and that also can put you emotionally in a, diff- a slightly different headspace. Mm, so it's almost like you're just like retraining your, your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And, um, you know, and I do, I do remember back in those days, what you first mentioned about like the, okay, you finally put the kids to bed and you were going, going, going. And I think that happens a lot to young moms where you do think, okay, like, cool. Now I got a minute to myself. I'm just going to sit here. And I know it happened to me. I, gosh, when I had a a toddler and a baby at the same time, and they finally were both asleep at the end of the day, I was just like, oh my 
God, let me have some ice cream and just sit here and chill. <laughs> right. And it's like, listen, you do deserve that chill time, right? Like I'm never trying to suggest like you're wrong for wanting that. It's just, we just want to find some other things in your toolbox to, to get you that that chill feeling you're looking for. And also like your husband was saying, right? Like you notice it, a lot of people notice that at work that they, they have 18 tasks they still have to get through and, and kind of a easy procrastination thing is like, oh, let's just, let's go to the vending machine or let's go grab a coffee or let's go get a donut. Right. And it's like, um, to delay something that we have to do. Right. Right. And I, I love the, um, the music photo idea, mm-hmm. especially the photo idea. Like I, I, I've heard of the music thing and, um, you know, I had a writer friend once who, you know, said, oh, there's only this one type of music that you should listen to when you write because it'll give you a good. And so it's kind of that same thought, but I never heard the photo thing before. And I love that, like be rewarded to look back at maybe, you know, a vacation a couple summers ago or, um, would it even work just to pull up maybe like and dream of pictures? Like, Hey, I want to really go to this beach someday. Oh, and absolutely. Kind of and like, even, you know, Pinterest could be so great for that. Like doing your own little, uh, vision board on Pinterest that is like vacations you want to go to or plans or hopes or goals that you have for yourself, like for the upcoming year. So yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be, um, any certain type of photo. It's just a photo that evokes an emotional response for you. And, um, you know, with the music piece, like it definitely can be any kind of music. It does not have to be. And I always tell people like, it doesn't have to be your favorite artist either. Like it could just be any random song that just makes you happy or makes you cry or makes you scream, like whatever you need in that moment to release that emotion, you know, go for it. Yeah. Oh, that, that's some great tips. And, and I love too that when someone comes to you, um, you know, you don't say like, okay, like here's this strict plan. Like you kind of do the art and the science of it because it is an art and science what you do, you know, to help people figure these things out. And um, and I think people forget, you know, maybe, you know, do you feel like a lot of people come to you looking for that like rigid, like tell me what to do and don't do? Yeah, I like want to laugh a little bit there because so many people think that's what they want. Um, and four days in, they 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 hate it, right? It's uh, it's not sustainable. Oh, we, we last minute had to go out to dinner. I mean, no one's doing that right now, but hopefully we'll be able to do that. And, you know, right. oh, we last minute had this get together with somebody and, you know, I couldn't follow the Wednesday night dinner that you told me I had to have, or uh, people came over for dinner or work, had a free lunch. And so there's all those aspects of it. And so, you know, I certainly give people ideas. I don't want it to sound like you just kind of give them this vague, here's some structure now, like good luck, go figure it out. Like we really break it down together and talk about, well, what are your food preferences and how can we pair the things that you like into what you're already doing? Like how can we keep it as similar to the things that you like, but fine tune it and tweak it a little bit? Um, And then, you know, that emotional thing, like I just want to go back and say one more thing. The 10 minutes is so huge because we're not saying to sit there and, and do nothing for an hour or to go find something to keep yourself busy for an hour. Like there really is so much research that we're just teaching you to hit a pause button to just before you just automatically at eight o'clock, go get the ice cream or the, you know, fill in the blank. You just want to hit pause and, and give yourself 10 minutes to go do something. And the research really shows that after those 10, 15 minutes for people, 
a lot of times people feel like it was just kind of like a wave in the ocean. Like it was a rough wave that they got to ride out and it passed and the craving has, has left them and they're good. And also sometimes people do the 10, 15 minutes and they're like, cool, Katie, I still want the ice cream, you know? And so I'll say to them, then go have something, you know, it's not to not eat. It's just to, to show yourself that you can do it for 10 minutes. And the research shows with that, that after you've you've paused for that 10 to 15 minutes, what you eat and the portion size changes versus when you just have that immediate, oh, it's eight, I'm going to have whatever, right? Mm, yeah, I would totally believe that too. Like suddenly what, you know, you might have wanted the whole candy bar and then suddenly you're okay with just like, a Hershey kid. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Like just that little bit satisfied you. So what are some tips or not really tips, but signs rather of when someone should um, seek professional help? If, you know, they're like, okay, I think I am kind of in this emotional eating yo-yo state of, you know, maybe it could get worse. I don't think it's getting better. Like what are some signs that they should kind of seek, you know, advice like yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm a big believer in getting help. I I work with several different coaches for my business. I've had a therapist for 15 plus years who I still see on a quarterly basis. So I kind of look at seeing someone like me, a dietitian, as something every single human would benefit from doing at least once. So it's, it's not something where like you have to feel like everything has fallen apart before you get help with this. You know, a lot of us just did not grow up in homes where our parents knew much about nutrition or, you know, a lot of people didn't get great education at school about this stuff. I work with really smart, educated people who just have no clue about this because it's not their area of expertise. And so, um, I think everybody would benefit from going to see a dietitian at least once in their life. I would say, uh, you know, to when it's that emotional aspect, when you think maybe you should seek help, um, you know, if it's just starting to really have a big impact negatively on your, your day-to-day living, you know, we eat multiple times a day. We're interacting with it every single day. And it's something we have to be interacting with. We're eating, you know, if you're eating three meals a day, you're having 21 meals a week. And so there's a lot of chances to beat yourself up or feel like you're doing something wrong. And sometimes you just need to get out of your own way and, and get some professional guidance, not like go talk to your best friend about it who doesn't know anything about nutrition because they're going to give you you know, advice that they saw or read on the internet. And that's just not really going to get you the results you're looking for. I think for my specialty, people come to me because they just are noticing trends that they don't love. Um, that all of a sudden the the work outfits or their jeans just are not fitting, that they're tired, that their energy levels have really plummeted, that their cravings have gone up. And, you know, I also think right now with just the world that we're living in, food is is uh, sometimes the only enjoyable part of our day right now. Yeah. Right? Like 
2020 and like you said at the beginning, like, and the start of 2021 have been rough. And, and for a lot of busy professionals, sometimes the only enjoyable part of the day is food. And so it's not conceptually that people don't understand, oh, this is a healthy food or this isn't a healthy food. It's that we want that kind of dopamine hit because it's the only thing that we're getting that dopamine hit from that whole day. So I think that's when people tend to reach out to somebody like me. But it I just want to be super clear. It doesn't have to be that drastic. And I also sometimes will get clients who, you know, will say, well, they'll almost say it a little embarrassed. Like, you know, I know you're a weight loss dietitian and, and I really only need to lose like five pounds. Like, do you think I'm totally ridiculous to want to work with you? And I always say like, of course not. Do you want to wait till it's 30 pounds? Like, like yeah. we could nip this in the butt now. Like, why not? Right. So sorry, I'm, I'm giving super long-winded answers here. No, I love it. I mean, so yeah, you're so right. I think everybody could could benefit uh, to working with a, a new a nutritional expert, a dietitian, you know, like someone like yourself that just and you know you're you know the science behind it. Like you said, you can't just go talk to your best friend and you can't even go talk to usually your doctor about it because they're not even an expert like yourself, like a dietitian who has studied no. and studied and done internships and rounds and like this is your life. You've studied food. Yeah. I mean my mom is a doctor and she, you know it's it's definitely changing a little bit. I think it's getting better in med school, but she and four years of med school had one one hour lecture on nutrition. Yeah. So wow. it they it's not that doctors aren't willing to give you that information. It's just like you said, a lot of times they don't know it, number one. And number two, they just don't have the time. They have 15 minutes with you yeah. where uh, a nutrition nutritionist or a dietitian typically gets an hour with you, which I think people really, really do need. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love your I just love your approach and I love um, your focus on let's find a sustainable way of life. And I love even how you mentioned there um, about, well, you only have five pounds to lose. Could you benefit? Well, well, yes, because it's better to kind of get um, this relationship with your food and eating together now rather mm -hmm. than way down the line when then you feel like it's just, whoa, you almost may, you might feel hopeless almost at that point. Like, so I think that's just great, great advice. And if someone does want to reach out to you with any of these questions, um, or more questions or to work with you or to learn more about your programs, where would they find you? Oh, that's really sweet. It's, um, so there's a couple places to find me. I think, I'm super active on Instagram. My Instagram handle is weightloss.nutritionist, you know, and people DM me there all the time. I I post on there every single day. So I'm usually posting pretty relevant topics to what we've actually been talking about today. Um, and I just started my own podcast, like we were talking about at the beginning, Lose to Live. So that's a, a place to just hear more conversations like this. Um, and I, you know, I'm always wanting to to hear from the audience, like what topics and podcast episodes do you want to hear? So if people, if people give me that in a DM form on Instagram, I'm, I'm super happy to, to do an episode on that. Oh, perfect. Well, we will link all of this in the show notes and just thank you so much for coming on to talk about this timely topic, because I know we keep mentioning it, but 
um, in this emotional world we're living in right now, you know, like you said, like sometimes food's the only thing that we like are excited about at the end of the day. And, you know, like it's better to get our relationship with that right better. I can't talk. We can't get a relationship better right now rather than down the line when it maybe became a a deeper health issue. So I really thank you for coming on and just sharing with us your advice from, you know, that scientific expert background, um, which I just love getting more of those voices out there in the world. Like, Hey, this, this is facts. (laughs) So um, just thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I really uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. That was such a great conversation with Katie. I loved how she brought up that there is an art and science behind what she does. And not only does she focus on educating clients about nutritional facts backed by science, but she also understands that at the end of the day, we each individually have different needs when it comes to discovering a sustainable way to maintain or lose our weight. I also really loved her tips on pausing for 10 minutes when you're tempted to engage in emotional eating and how listening to music or even looking back at those vacation photos on your phone can help reframe your mindset. I think that is such an easy, actionable tip that we can put into practice right away when we're tempted to reach for that salty or sugary food. As a reminder, we will link all of Katie's information in the show notes so you know how you can connect with her. You can find the show notes on our sponsored blog, badtothebowl.com forward slash 24. Again, that is badtothebowl.com forward slash 24. And hey, while you're over there, be sure to grab our free book, Five Plant-Based Family Favorite Dinners. Thanks for listening.